Hello and welcome to Folklore of the Universe, the podcast made with 100% industrial-grade quality words. I'm your host, Kyle. This is episode 25, so a quarter of the way to 100 episodes, which is a pretty big milestone, which is pretty cool. Uh, hopefully we make it there someday, although then I'd have to think of something special to do for 100 episodes, so I don't know. We'll see how that pans out, but for now, we're on this one, number 25. And it's gotten kind of, um, snowy out here. This is the first snow of the season, actually, where I am. It's a bit- it's all snowy and windy and blustery out. You might hear it in the background at some point during this, I don't know. But because of that, I'm gonna do another wintry- wintry episode. Nice cold-themed northern climate one. So, with that in mind, our stories today, we're gonna have a native Alaskan one and a Siberian one. Which is- which should be good, nice and thematic. Of course, before then, we've got our Monster of the Week. I've got no other announcements, so let's just dive into that now. And to keep in with the theme, the monster for this episode is Jack Frost. Jack Frost is another name for, or maybe a variation for, Old Man Winter, because they're both essentially personifications of winter and of icy weather. He comes from a variety of different European folklore, folklore tale system mythologies, uh, like Scandinavian folklore, Anglo-Saxon, or Russian, a lot of northern places have Jack Frost-like characters, and they what they do is they will roll up to town in late fall or mid-fall sometimes, and they'll start turning the foliage all at special colors and start bringing frost, hence the name, and then uh, cold winds, ice, snow, all that deal. So it's also sort of related to the idea of the North Wind as a mythology character, because sometimes the North Wind was seen as this entity who also brings cold weather from up north. Like in Greek mythology, Boreas is the god of the North Wind, and that was all his jam, as his dealio. In Russian folklore, this Jack Frost character is even more developed. Uh, it's called Grandfather Frost, or in Russian it's Dead Moroz. Uh, however you pronounce that. Probably that's not how, but you get the idea. Anyway, he's got a lot of interesting qualities because he's seen as this winter winter bringer, winter wizard type entity or snow demon. He's the magical old man who brings winter, but he's also got elements similar to modern day Santa. It could be a precursor to that because he also will bring gifts to children around winter time. But um, he does different style than Santa. He's got blue robes instead. Um, he's got a magical staff. Uh, he rides a carriage, a horse-drawn carriage. He's got a big fur coat. So while he's a precursor to Santa-like figures, he's also this very other thing. It's not really the same because he's also got this winter wizard's ice bringer, Jack Frost atmosphere going on too. So a cool figure. This all this. Winterbringer characters. That's really many figures, but they're all kind of the same. Whichever way, they clearly have skipped through town here because it's, like I said, it's getting pretty cold and blustery out and snowy. Which I love. I love the snow, just a disclaimer. Like, winter is my favorite season, so I'm totally down with this. This is my jam. But let's move on to our stories now. So, first up, uh, like I said, it's a native Alaskan one. We're gonna do an Aleut folk story. The Aleuts are the native people of the Aleutians, hence the name, Aleut Aleutians. It all ties together. Uh, the story is called The Old Man of the Volcano. 
On the eastern side of a river was situated a populous village. On the western bank, there was but one Barabara, in which lived an old couple with their son. The old people were feeble and did not think that they had long to live. They therefore asked their son to go over to the village and get married. He did as he was bidden, crossed over, married, and came back with the wife. Not long after this event, the father and mother died, leaving the young couple alone. At the end of the first year of the marriage, a daughter was born, who, after being bathed two or three times, began to talk. Another year passed, and a little boy came to the family. As the children grew up, the father became very fond of them, particularly of the boy, who very often went down to the beach to meet him as he returned from his work. For in order to provide for his little family, the father went out daily in his boat to hunt for sea animals and birds, and always came back well loaded. But one day, the man came home with little game and looking very sad. His wife asked the cause of his unhappiness, and he answered roughly that the seals were scarce. From that day on, the poor woman could not depend with any regularity on his homecoming. Sometimes he would not put in an appearance until late in the night, and frequently he stayed away two or three days together. He brought so little game that the family had barely enough to live on. When at home, he was dejected and could hardly be made to talk. His wife's questions were generally cut short by brutal answers. Things kept going from bad to worse, and the climax was reached when the man disappeared altogether. Days and weeks passed without bringing any tidings of his whereabouts. And looking over a basket filled with various objects, the woman came across the head and claws of an eagle which had been given her when she was a girl. These she shook and worked on till she made a large eagle skin, which she put on herself and flew away to find her husband, who, she feared, was starving or lying ill somewhere. She flew a long time, came to the outskirts of a large village, alighting near a barabara, alongside of which bubbled a spring to which the woman came for water. From where she was, the eagle could see a bidarka with her husband in it coming towards the shore. At the same time, her attention was drawn to a young woman running to the spring to fetch some water, and, after leaving it in the hut, hurrying down to the beach to greet her faithless husband. Following her rival, the eagle swooped down on the man and, snatching him in her claws, flew with him into the clouds, from whence she dropped him into the sea. From this tragedy, the eagle flew home to her children, whom she found safe. To the boy, she gave a feather and a pebble to eat, which he did. Up to this time, all those who had gone up the river failed to return, no one knowing just what became of them. The boy, when he grew up, told his mother that he had made up his mind to go upstream. She tried in vain to dissuade him from his enterprise by pointing out the dangers inciting cases of strong and brave hunters who had lost their lives in the undertaking. Seeing that he was determined, she yielded, and gave him to take with him a needle and this advice. If you're in trouble, think of the feather. Should no help come from that, remember the pebble, and if very hard-pressed, make use of the needle. The next morning, he got into his boat and paddled upstream, till he came to a cave into which the tide was setting with such force that he was unable to keep out of it. In the cave, he felt a current of warm air and saw a smooth beach, on which he pulled up his bidarka. Pretty soon afterwards, he became aware of someone approaching, and great was the boy's fright when he saw near him a large old man breathing fire. There was, however, no harm done him, except that the old man asked him to follow. They marched into the interior, passing through dark and hot places, gradually ascending to a lighter and cooler atmosphere, 
until they stood on the summit of a mountain whose sides sheared straight down into the sea. If you wish to live with me, said the old man, you must jump off this bluff. And with this, he gave him a push, and the boy felt himself going down, down. He thought of his mother's advice about the feather, and by doing so, became a feather and was carried by the wind back to the top of the mountain. There he resumed his human shape, and went back to his boat, and proceeded in his ascent of the river, coming to a bay partly enclosed by steep black walls. In the distance, at the head of the bay, a barabara was visible, and thither the boy pulled and landed. He went in, found a very stout old woman and a young girl, who began to weep when she saw him. Why do you weep? said the old woman. Who is dead or drowning at sea? I am not drowned. I died neither on land nor on sea, answered the boy. If you are alive, come in, but if dead, stay out. I'm alive, he replied, and went in. When a few questions had been asked and answered, the old woman proposed that the young couple should marry, which was done. The young wife did not love her husband, and begged the old woman to have him killed for fresh meat. The latter put her off, saying that he was not fat enough. At last, the old woman consented to have him killed, and for this purpose, told him to go to the top of the hill, to the home of her brother, and there take a bath. He suspected treachery, and was on the lookout. At the top of the hill, a stout old man waited for him to take him to the bathhouse, and urged him to hurry with his bathing, for he had a hot roasted codfish waiting for him. When the boy went in, the old man closed up all the openings, and poured hot oil on the heated rocks in order to smother him. The boy changed himself into a pebble, and remained so until the door was opened and fresh air blew in. On seeing him come out unharmed, the old man exclaims, Ah, you're different from the others! After having eaten his roasted fish, the old man proposed to the young one to take a run along the edge of the cliffs. This proposition was accepted on a condition that the old man take the lead. They started off. When they reached a steep and dangerous place, the boy shoved his companion off and he disappeared out of sight. From here he returned home, where he found his wife sitting near the fire and the old woman soundly asleep. His wife he called outside and shot her with the needle his mother gave him. Then he shot the old woman with the same weapon. Having had enough adventure, he started down the stream to where his mother was, and to her and others he related all that had happened to him. The chief of the village was so delighted that he gave him his daughter in marriage. Each volcano has a master. He breathes fire, and he it was who met the boy in the cave. This old man of the volcano does not like rivals, and kills all who come in his way. The End this is an interesting story because it's kind of a mix of different things. Because one part of it is it's, ex it's an explanation story. It explains why volcanoes work or how they work. Which, um, if you remember the Sheruf, or the monster of the week we had a bit ago, the Mapuche one, it was a lava monster that made volcanoes all smoky and fiery. And then here in this Aleut mythology, we've got the old man of the volcano, which does the same thing. So same role for two different creatures. But this isn't the main focus of the story, it's almost sort of tacked on there. The story's more of this youth's adventure. But then we've also got the first half of it, with the, which is the setup of his father being unfaithful and not getting food and all that. So it almost feels like two different stories. Or maybe like one of those plays where we've got Acts 1 is set like 20 years before Acts 2. And there's that huge time jump. So I guess it could be kind of like that, where the first part is this big setup, 
and then the payoff is the second part. We've got these adventures. Then at the end is, oh yeah, by the way, FYI, Old Man of the Volcano. As far as unfamiliar words go, there's only the two of them, and I'm sure you've picked those up, that Bara Bara means house, and Bidarka means boat. It's pretty, pretty obvious. We've also got this idea of the, um, which is sort of familiar by this point, of the three gifts, which all have a use. Although, what's interesting about this one is that he doesn't use them in three separate occurrences. Like, how I thought this would go is that use the, um, the feather for the first old man, the rock for the second old man, and then there'd be a third old man he uses the needle on, but that doesn't happen. He just sort of uses the last two at the same place. Which, again, is sort of interesting because that's not how a lot of other stories go, so it is sort of unique in that regard. I do like the figure of the old man of the volcano, though. Reminds me of the uh, the old man of the mountain, like the Cab Calloway song. So it's sort of a cool, cool idea, especially if he's like that, but all fiery and lava-y. Another interesting part is how this sort of gives an insight into Aleut mythology and belief systems, too. How magic is mostly transformative, it seems to be. Like the wife at the beginning transforms herself into an eagle, the boy transforms himself into a feather or a pebble. So it's cool how magic is about changing your shape to do different things. And who knows, maybe it's set up so the mother passes those skills down to the son. Maybe it's like a genetic thing or a learned thing. It certainly runs in the family in any regards. That seems, seems to be the case. This story is also quite telling about the local geography too, because you know there's a lot of water, a lot of um, going out on the ocean to catch food, and we know that there's volcanoes. And if you're unfamiliar with the geography of the Aleutians, they're a bunch of little volcano islands out in the middle of the ocean. So that, that checks out, that reads. But of course, I always like seeing how geography influences stories and mythology. It's cool how those tie together, because they do tie together an awful lot. Which makes sense, because people's landscape is what they have to go off, so that's, that's why all that works out like that. So, all in all, I think the takeaway here is that if anyone wants to do a cover of Old Men of the Mountain, but do it like Old Men of the Volcano, then hit me up, because I am 2,000% down for that. Sounds pretty, pretty awesome. But now we're going to move on to our next story. So this one, like I said before, this is a Siberian story. Specifically, this comes from the Yukakir people. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. They're from um, the area around Kalima in Siberia. So if you look that up, it's where uh, Kamchatka is, sort of north of there. So very far eastern Siberia. But anyway, this story is called The Shaman Who Turned Into a Fox. There lived an old man who had a pretty young daughter. He was a great shaman and wanted to find a husband for her, the best of all humankind. So he turned into an arctic fox and ran along. Whomsoever he met, by him he would allow himself to be caught. And as soon as the man caught him, his hand would stick to the fox's back. Then the fox would rush onwards, dragging the man along. The fox would come to a river and turn into a fish. Then it would dive into the water, dragging the man along. And so the man would be drowned. Another time, he turned into a red fox and ran along. Whomsoever he met, by him, would permit himself to be caught. Then the hand of the man would stick to the fox's back. The fox would rush onward, dragging the man along, and soon would drown him in the river. A third time, he turned into an ermine, and the same happened as before. Finally, he turned into a black fox and ran along. He met a young man, a wanderer, 
who knew neither father nor mother, and who walked about without aim and in great poverty. The fox allowed himself to be taken. Then the hand of the wanderer stuck to his back, and the fox rushed on, dragging the man along. The fox ran to the river, turned into a fish, and dived into the water, dragging the man along. The fish crossed the river, came to the opposite shore, and again turned into a fox. And lo, the young man was still alive. The fox rushed on, and came to some rocks. The rocks were all covered with sharp pointed spikes. The number of the rocks was ten. The fox ran between all of them, and the man along with them. The man was winding along like a thin hare, but he was still alive. The fox ran into a forest, which was as dense and thick as the autumn grass. The bark of one tree touched the bark of another. They crossed this dense forest, but the young man was still alive. The fox came to the sea and plunged into the sea. He went across the sea to the opposite shore, but the man was still alive. Then the fox said, Oh, you are an excellent man. I want to have you as a husband for my daughter. I will let go of your hands, so please let go of my back. The man said, I do not want to have your daughter. I want rather to have your skin. He lifted the black fox high into the air and then struck it upon the ground with much force. The fox was dead. That is all. The end. I think my favorite thing about this story is how it's a rejection of the trials trope you find in other stories. Because a lot of stories, like ones we've seen, you've got the young man who wants to marry the princess or whatever. He has to complete so many impossible trials to do it. But in this story, he gets involuntarily dragged into the trials. And then at the end of it, he's not going to marry the daughter. He's just super pissed off and kills the man who puts them through him. So a really cool twist on this stereotypical or usual trial to win princess story idea, which I really love. I, I love breaking the tropes like this. This one is a pretty clear moral of, um, for the shaman anyway, of uh, play stupid games and win stupid prizes, because what did you expect, man? I mean, you're dragging this guy over half the planet and you think he's just be like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll marry, I'll marry your daughter, yeah, 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 it's just cool. Nah, that's not gonna, it's not gonna work. Another really cool thing about the story is that my source actually says where it was collected from, and this story was first recorded when it was told by Innocent Karyakin, a Tundra Yukagir man, on the western tundra of Kolimya in the winter of 1895. So from a humanistic or anthropological side, it's super cool having those details about the story. I really love that. Another interesting thing I find about this is what he transforms into, because he does three foxes, which makes sense, uh, three different types, but then he also turns to an ermine randomly in the middle of all that, so I'm not really sure why or what the deal with that is. But there is some significance with the last fox being a black one, because black foxes are incredibly rare because they're not their own species, it's a, a genetic tweak that makes them look like that. It's sort of the opposite of albinism. And instead of having too little pigment, they have too much pigment. So like a gray fox will appear entirely black. So these are super rare. And in some cultures, they're seen as a symbol of good luck. I couldn't find anything for this particular one. So I don't know if they're supposed to be seen as a good luck omen or as a bad luck omen. And it really could go either way. But either way, moral of the story is the same. Don't do a bunch of bullshitting with your, your potential son-in-laws because that could backfire. Don't want to. Don't want to do that. You know, like you want you want a you want a good one, of course, but you don't want to like drag them around oceans and stuff. 
not really recommended. Also, like, hanging out on the porch with a shotgun, it's a bit dated. Just gonna say, it's a bit um, 1800s. Not really modern, modern day stuff. But I'm afraid that is all the time I have for this episode. So thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this sort of frosty, cold episode-ish. Uh, Not really. The only icy mention was in the Monster of the Week. Both these stories don't really have anything to do with the cold, but they come from cold places, so same, same, right? Maybe? Anyway, I hope you're staying warm. Uh, I am over here, even though it's all snowy out. But I love the snow, so that's good. Um, and yeah, that is all. So we're going to have another episode in two weeks' time, as usual. To all uh, American listeners, happy Thanksgiving, because that's happening now-ish. Uh, to all rest of the world listeners, happy end of November. Unless you like November, then sorry it's end of November. And if you've got any feedback, shoot me an email or a comment on the YouTubes or whatever you want to do. And yeah, that's all. So I've been Kyle, this has been the show, and goodbye.